Christian Church, now South Rock, uh, for a couple weeks, and I had known this girl. I had been hanging out with her for that time, and I really liked her. She was smart. She was funny. She was spunky. She was great. Uh, and so I decided after a couple weeks that I was going to ask her out. And I, again, I really liked her. So I was like, I'm going to pull out all the stops. This is like fourth and goal, bottom of the ninth, Frank Sinatra kind of like, I'm going to get this girl to go out with me. And so I asked her on a date, and she more than likely begrudgingly said yes. Uh, and so we, I had this plan. I was like, well, here's what we're going to do. And so I took her to this really fancy restaurant. It had bistro in the name. Uh, it had cloth, It had tablecloths, cloth napkins. It had a separate wine list, not laminated. No big deal. Uh, and so it was this really nice restaurant. And so I was really excited about it. We went out, and then after that, we went to High Park, and uh, I had bought canvas and paints, and we painted and talked while we, like, the sun was setting, and it was great, it was wonderful, and then I, my plan was, I was going to take her dancing, and I had asked a couple people, like, hey, what, what do you think about this idea, and they said, the dance, like, Nick's, that's too much, uh, that's a, a bridge too far, like, fine, whatever, and uh, so I didn't do that part, and I just took her home, and then I asked her later, much later, if that would have been a good idea, and she said, no, they were right, that's too much, and I was like, well, no one's as romantic as me, so whatever, uh, it's fine, and so we didn't do that, and then a couple weeks pass, we get through July 4th, we get through fireworks tents, and uh, we get to uh, like mid-July, and I'm like, I need to ask this girl out again. I like her so much. Uh, this needs to work out. And so again, pull out all the stops, really rack my brain. What are we going to do? And so I, we go to another restaurant, less fancy, but the plan was uh, let's go and have dinner, and then we're going to walk around Wichita. We'll go like waterfront. We'll go pop into little shops, and we'll just talk and walk, and it'll be a really nice time. So we go out to dinner, and then she goes, hey, I promised a friend that like, we would, I would make an appearance at this pool party. Uh, is that okay? And I was like, <laughs> I'm trying to present as light and breezy, so of course, it's great. I love it. We, I had no plans. We're fine. Uh, let's go to this pool party. So we went to a pool party back in Derby, and uh, she went and had her little girl chat with her friends, and I sat with guys I barely knew who asked me questions like, why are you wearing a collared shirt to a pool party in July? And I was like, that's a fair question. Uh, but we had fun. What happened inevitably with college students was she was thrown in the pool, big laugh, fully dressed. I help her out. I give her a towel that the host had given me. And uh, I'm walking, or we, I, we get to my car, and I'm driving her home, and I do something very bold for 2012 Christian date. I reach over, and I hold her hand. I know, right? It was wild. And so grab her hand, and uh, that's when she hits me with three words that every guy who's wooing a girl, who's spent money and countless time uh, thinking about the three words you want to hear, you scare me. Yes, nailed it. <laughs> Woo, that's what I wanted to hear, baby. And so uh, she went on to explain, and she was like, because, you know, you're going back to Tennessee where you go to school, and I'm going to stay here in Derby, and so, like, how is this going to work? And I was like, Fair question, fair point. Uh, doesn't mean you can't eat for free. Doesn't mean we can't hang out and have some fun. Doesn't mean, uh, you know, we can end it when we end it. It's fine. I still really like you. Let's just do that. And so it worked out. But she would later tell me that the reason that she was actually scared 
was because she had never had somebody actually chase after her like this. She had never had someone go full blast, sold out for Haley Gunch. That was new to her, and it was terrifying. And it makes sense now when I was a, like, you know, 20, it was like, no, this is perfect. This is what I want to do. But she was terrified of this because it was with reckless abandon that I went after this girl. I, I liked her and I wanted her to know and see that, hey, when I am faithful to a person, this is what it looks like. This is what my faithfulness to someone is. It is me constantly going after you. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about faith and faithfulness because these ideas, I think, a lot of time get misconstrued, especially in church. Uh, when, in, even in like pop culture, uh, when we see people talk about faith in church and in like, if you watch a TV show and there's a pastor, then it's always like, oh, you just got to believe. You just got to have faith. No matter what, even when things look impossible and it's crazy and hard, just believe. Just have faith. Uh, it doesn't have to make sense. Just have faith. And while there is some of that to an extent, that whole idea to me is kind of insulting because there's so much more to faith and belief than just oh, I just, I just believe and that's it. We're doing a lot more here than just believing. There's eternal consequences. There is like unseen things happening around us. Faith and belief are a lot more logical than illogical sometimes. There's a lot more to it than that. And so faith is like, you know, this belief it's, and then there's this faithfulness that's this action of belief. And so when I talk about faith, I'm talking about the belief of, in, like if I say I have faith in my wife, for instance, I say I have faith in my wife, then you immediately go, oh, he believes in her. He thinks she's able to accomplish something. She is able. She can do it. She, she's able to do something. But if I say I have faithfulness in her or I am faithful to her, that changes the story and the connotation. Suddenly I'm saying, she's the only one for me. There is no person or thing above her. I am hers. She is mine. I am faithful to her. She is the only one I am seeking. And so we get these two terms and these two ideas confused, conflicted. We see them portrayed differently and incorrectly. And so I'm so excited to talk about them as we get into this new series uh, with Encountering Jesus, where we talk almost chronologically through his life and people that interact with Jesus on, in different situations. And today we're talking about Luke 2, so you can flip there now, but uh, I've always looked at this story we're going to be talking about very factually, because factually, this is the only story we have about Jesus between his birth and the start of his ministry at like 30-something years old. So he's 12 years old here, and it's always been like, here are the facts for me. But I started to really devote myself to this for this sermon, and it got me so excited that this is the opening to this series and the opening to a new year, because it really challenges some preconceived notions and perceptions we have about faith and faithfulness and allow us to see what faith and faithfulness can truly look like. And so we're going to start by reading in Luke 2, 41 through 42, where it says this, now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. Now hard stop to talk about a couple things. Number one, 
This is what faithful people do and did in Judaism. When you were a faithful Jewish person, especially at this time, you would go and celebrate the Passover, which is a week-long celebration of what, G- or what God did for the Hebrews in Egypt in the book of Exodus. Okay, so this is a big deal. But faithful Jewish people would sojourn to Jerusalem and spend the week there in revelry and contemplation and joy and worship. And so Mary and Joseph here in this story, we're starting off by saying they are being faithful. This is a faith-driven thing that they are doing. They are going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's on a hill. This is just a little side note. It's on top of a hill both ways. It's not that old joke. No matter where you go, it's just uphill, okay? It's on a hill. And so they are sojourning up to Jerusalem to spend a week celebrating the Passover. Mary and Joseph, very faithful people. And then we continue in 43 through 45. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of this. Assuming that he was, with, was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search, search for him. Now, I don't want to gatekeep this feeling, but if you're a parent, you absolutely know the feeling of like, my kid isn't where they ought to be. Uh, whether it's just for a couple seconds or very, very tragically for a lot longer, you know that heart-wrenching, oh my goodness, where are they feeling? Uh, Just a couple weeks ago, I took my four-year-old and two-year-old, Emmy and Callan, respectively, to the library. We were leaving. I put the books and the bags in the car. I told Emmy to pile into the van. She asks me a question, which takes my attention to her because it was, I don't know, something in-depth that I needed to talk to her about. And so then I look down, and there's no Callan. And I go this way, and there's no Callan. And I take, like, the three fastest steps in human history to the back of the car and to see, like, if he had maybe dawdled into the parking lot, and there's no Callan. And I turn around, and there he is just, like, trying to clamber into the van, none the wiser, completely unaware that his dad is, like, short of breath, freaking out because he couldn't be found. And my only guess is like he was in lockstep with me. Like it was like no Callan, no Callan, no Callan. <laughs> like Callan, like that's the only thing. But it was under 10 seconds. And that was enough time for the synapses in my brain to go, this is the worst case scenario. And so I can't imagine days. Mary and Joseph have spent days without their son. And again, I'm not going to gatekeep it. I know that like we all know that feeling of loss, of suddenly like this, there's someone or something that isn't where they ought to be. Or you've done something wrong and you're going to be in big trouble. <laughs> there's like, there's an end to something that you didn't want it to end yet. We all know the heart drops to our feet, stomach hurts, hard to breathe, breathe grief and pain and loss and just, I don't know what's happening right now. I think we have this perception sometimes of faith and faithful people uh, that if we believe hard enough, we can avoid these things. That, man, if I, just, if I just believe and I pray really hard that the, what happened to like Job in the Bible who was allowed to be tempted by Satan, man, if we pray and hope and believe hard enough, that won't happen. And it kind of leaves us ha- hanging out to dry when something bad does happen because suddenly you go, where was God? 
and we question and we wonder. And we have to realize, though, that faithfulness does not mean freedom from struggle. And you might be sitting there going like, well, I don't believe that at all. But when you get to those points, you go, why didn't I just believe harder? Why, don't, why didn't I just pray harder that this didn't happen? And we have this constant struggle of, if I just believe, if I just have the mustard seed in me, that, that, faith, that faithfulness, then I will be protected, I will be sure, and nothing bad will happen. But we have to remember that faithfulness does not mean freedom from struggle. We also have to remember that faithfulness does not mean freedom from ignorance. Uh, and I want to be very clear about what that word means. By ignorance, I mean just like unknowing, unsuredness, if that could be a word, uh, just the lack of understanding in a certain area. And uh, we see this, I think, really well in 2, 46 through 48, where it says this. Uh, After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And so I see this perception of faithful people uh, and faith in the church, and I see it in a couple ways. One is uh, a little extreme, but it's always funny to me because I knew this lady in Tennessee at a church I worked at who, when she went shopping, she would drive around the parking lot for 30 minutes praying that God would open up the right spot for her. And so she would drive around, drive around praying, God, let, show me the spot you want me to go to. Show me where I need to park. Show me the answers. And then inevitably, because 30 minutes is a long time to just drive around a parking lot, a front spot would open and she would pull in and go, praise the Lord. He has shown me the way. He has shown me where I need to go and where I need to be. Like, seems like you just wasted 30 minutes, but I mean, to each their own. Another way is uh, <laughs> I taught Revelation in a Sunday school cl- class a couple weeks or a couple weeks, a couple years ago, uh, and I taught my view of Revelation. And uh, views of Revelation are a lot like a box of chocolates, not in the Forrest Gump way, but in the way that uh, about 80% of them are garbage, the rest are palatable, and then like there's one that you really want. And so I was teaching my view of Revelation, uh, and this lady in the front row, I'm teaching, and she raises her hand. And I say, yes, may I help you? And she goes, you know, I just want you to know that I've been praying about this, and I just want you to know that I'm right and you're wrong. (laughs) Fair. You know, I mean, like, I could be. Uh, I I have that ability to be wrong. I know that I could be incorrect. Uh, But I asked her, I said, you know, you said you've been praying about this. Do you not think that I have been praying about this? She said, oh, no, of course you've been praying about this. I'm like, okay, do I need to connect these dots? Like, okay, then something happened, like either the Holy Spirit has given two completely different answers, the Holy Spirit has given one wrong answer, or one of us is just plain wrong. And she said, well, you're wrong. And I said, okay, it's fine. And so the big difference was that I understood that faithfulness didn't mean that I was free from ignorance, I've known this for a long time because I know that my opinion and my facts can be wrong. I see this perception in faith-based uh, people and faithful people that because we have this belief that we are able to pray and we are able to read the Bible and immediately go, I know I'm right. And we become rigid in that fact. But faithfulness doesn't mean we're free from ignorance. Sometimes you're going to be challenged and your opinion might have to be reshaped. 
Sometimes you might be reading the Bible and go, I did not know that was in there. And that contradicts something that I've believed about the Bible this whole time. Sometimes you'll pray for an answer and you won't get one. And that might be the answer is you have to not know for a little bit. Or you have to just go and trust that I'm with you. Because faithfulness doesn't mean freedom from ignorance. Sometimes you won't know. And we have to be okay with saying, sometimes I don't know. And we have to be okay saying, sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes my entire worldview needs to be looked at. And it might be backed up and it might be made correct, but it might also be challenged correctly and well to be changed. Because faithfulness does not necessarily mean freedom from ignorance. Uh, it also doesn't mean, faithfulness also doesn't mean freedom from emotion. And again, a lot of these, I think you'll, you'll, you'll hear them and go, oh, that's not me. Uh, but I promise you, this one is. Uh, because I see this in church a lot. And this one, I am throwing all of you under the collective bus. But I'm there with you, so welcome. Uh, because this is, I see this portrayed a lot in uh, how we interact with each other. If you go up to anybody in this church and go, hey, how's it going? They'll say, good. And, you'll say, and they'll say, how are you? And you'll go, good. And that'll be about the end of it. And I'll tell you what, we are the luckiest church in the world because every single person in here is good right now. How wonderful. <laughs> like, what are the odds? Uh, it's never, I've never heard anybody say bad. We're all doing great. Good job. We nailed it. Uh, but every time, how are you? We're good. Because we use that as a means to pass on to the next conversation, right? It's just a greeting. But how are you? Good. And that's it. We don't feel like we're allowed to actually go terrible, horrific. It's been a rough one. Another way, and again, throwing you under the bus, me too. Uh, when we sing songs in here, I love you all very much. But we all stand, we all look at the front, and we all sing. Uh, John Ross is laughing at me right now because all of you <laughs> will stand and sing, and there's a couple wild ones that raise a hand. My heart, when you do. Uh, some of you will close your eyes. How do you know what you're looking at? Uh, it's crazy. Uh, and so there's a couple of you that will, uh, yeah, just stand and raise a hand. Wild stuff. But we have this idea in faith and faithfulness, this perception that we have to be, even there has to be a peace about us. There has to be a means by which, like, well, I believe, so I'm not allowed to have these, I'm not allowed to say, like, well, Jesus is with me, and Jesus is good, and God is good, so, you know, nothing is bad. Ultimately, things are good. But that's just such a perception, and, and I love what uh, the emotions of this text are. Uh, we, we see it in, verses, in verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, child, why have you, or excuse me, child, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And I love this part of the story because, again, Jesus is in the midst of teachers, right? He's, in the mo he's among the most powerful people in e Israel, in the Jewish faith, and he's teaching them. He's showing them their own ignorance, right? He's showing them where they have misstepped and where they have not learned anything. And here's Mary who's been anxious for days, terrified for her son, sees him and is amazed at what he's doing, is probably immediate, immediately relieved, and then marches into a group of, again, the most powerful men in the area and goes, what are you doing? Like, what were you thinking? 
Like, uh, imagine just like a mother walking into Congress and going like, what is wrong with you? It's amazing. And so that's, like, she did not allow her faithfulness to stifle her feelings. She walks into the temple, this holy place among powerful, faithful people, and allows her emotions to be worn on her heart and goes, I have been a wreck. This has been terrible. Where have you been? And so our perception of we need to be at peace because God is good and Jesus is in our lives, we need to get rid of that as much as possible and come into this room and go, Jesus, what are you doing? (laughs) Help me. We need to be able to worship and go like, I'm going to fall on my knees and not worry about what the row is going to think. We need to be able to go into into the lobby and have someone go, hey, how's it going? And go, pretty bad. Can we talk about it? And you, in return, need to be okay if a conversation has to go past Donut Sunday. We have to be okay setting in our emotions, because faithfulness doesn't mean that we are free of them, and we need to embrace them more and enable ourselves to embrace that. You know, faithfulness doesn't mean freedom uh, from struggle. It doesn't mean freedom from ignorance. It doesn't mean freedom from emotion. Uh, And it's really something that I want us to look at in 2024 because, again, it doesn't mean freedom from these things. But what faith does mean, what faithfulness is, is a means by which we can get through those things, right? We're still going to struggle. We're still going to have moments where we go, oh, I was wrong about that. We're still going to have moments where we feel deeply, we're hurt, we're broken, we're struggling, and I always have. I've had, I've, I'm almost the definition of born in the church. Like I grew up in a Methodist church. My dad kept the books. My mom played the piano, the whole shebang. I went to Bible college. I've been in ministry, but it didn't stop me in 2018 from having a panic attack. My first one. It didn't stop me from going, I need to go find some professional help here. It didn't stop me from going, I need to get on some medication because my brain chemistry, it's wacky. And so I'm not free. My faithfulness, my lifelong belief that God is good and good all the time and I have faith and I love the Lord my God, it didn't stop me from feeling these things, from struggling with these things, and it won't stop any of us. Faith and faithfulness does not save us in themselves. But my faith and my faithfulness gave me a wall to lean against. It allowed me not to fall so deep into the pit that I couldn't climb back out. Faith and faithfulness allowed me to have a backbone by which I could stand when I was struggling. It doesn't save you from it, but it allows you to have something to back up against. And so faith and faithfulness are wildly important things. And so the question is, how can in 2024 we be more faithful? How can we be more faith-driven? And I think Mary and Joseph have done an excellent job of showing what that looks like. Because through this whole thing, what they've been doing is they have been pursuing Jesus. And that's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is pursuit. They are faithful to their son. They know who he is. Like, Mary, did you know? Sure did. He was the king of kings, lord of lords. She knew he was the incarnate Christ. And so she could have easily been like, look, he's God. He'll figure it out. He'll meet us at home. Like, we got this. Like, he can do it. 
but she loved her son. She was faithful to her son. And so what she did was she spent a day, a day and a half, two days sprinting to Jerusalem, seeking her son, seeking her Jesus. Faithfulness is pursuit. It's what we go after. And so in 2024, the way that we can better or find a better place to back up against in the struggle, the emotionality, the ignorance, a place, a, a way that we can better do that is pursue Jesus, is go after him. A way that we seek that faithfulness. And so how do we do that and where do we look? Uh, in Luke 2.49, it says this. After, they, after Mary asked, what are you doing? He said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know where I, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And I love that because 12-year-old Jesus said something wildly true for us today. See, when Jesus was on the cross and he died, there, the place where the spirit of God dwelled was in the Holy of Holies in the temple, okay? So the Holy of Holies was a, a room separated by a big heavy curtain and that's where the spirit of God was, and you couldn't interact with the Spirit of God lest you die. It was like a once-a-year thing for the highest of priests. And when he died, the curtain was ripped in two, and he said that the Spirit of God would now dwell in you. He said that this would be now the temple. This would now be the house of his father. And so 12-year-old Jesus said, why are you looking for me? You know where I am. I'm in my father's house. I have to be. This is where I am. And so when I say faithfulness is pursuit and pursue Jesus, you need not look further than yourself. You need to devote yourself to the word. You need to devote yourself to prayer. You need to put nothing else above Jesus. And that's how we get faithfulness. We pursue Jesus above all else. And he made it so easy for us. 12-year-old Jesus knew exactly what he was going to be doing. He was going to be making this the mercy seat by which the Spirit of God would dwell, and we could pursue this with great ease and comfort. We just got to go and do it. And so in 2024, let's shirk off these preconceived notions of what faithfulness is and what faith-driven people are, and realize that there will be struggle, there will be times where you don't know, there will be times where we're confused and hurting and broken, but we'll have this faith because we put nothing else above it. And you can be faithful to anything. Isn't that amazing? You could be faithful to gluttony. You could be faithful to drink or pornography. You could be faithful to entertainment. You can be faithful to whatever because it's whatever you chase. And I'm saying this year, let's chase after the God that dwells within us, the God that dwells among us, so that we can say readily to people in this room, I'm bad or I am great and I want to worship and I want to fall on my knees and I want to celebrate. I want Jesus to be pursued in this room to the point where he goes, whoa, buddy, that's a little much. I want him to be like my wife who's like, this is scary. You are reckless in your pursuit of me, and it's a bit much. I want him to be pursued like Mary and Joseph pursued him, where we're sprinting uphill, unable to breathe, legs are hurting, flipping over tables and chairs, lighting up every nook and cranny we can, trying to root out everything that isn't our Jesus. Because that faithfulness will give us what a such a platform to build our year on. So for 2024, let's pursue Jesus. Let's do it together. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for who you are and what you do. God, you are oh, a God of relationship. You purposely came just so we could be with you. And God, we don't have to seek you out or sojourn to Jerusalem anymore to be with you. You have sat on our hearts and allowed us to pursue you well. And so God, for this year, help us to remember that you reside among us, you reside within us, and all we ought to do is go. God, I thank you for your faithfulness, that you are true to us no matter what. I pray that we can do the same, rooting out everything that isn't you and putting you first so that we can have something to stand on. God, we love you and thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.